Chapter 5, J. Wilbur Chapman, a well-known preacher of days gone by, used to tell the story of a drought which had been going on for weeks in America. And a number of uh, farmers uh, had arranged, because of this situation, to gather into a little prairie church and to just plead with God for rain. Their, their crops were failing. They needed desperately God to provide something. Well, these were men of God, as he told in the story. And uh, the crops were languishing, and they resolved they were going to petition the Almighty that he would send rain. Well, the day was appointed for this prayer, and the Sunday dawned in which their little church would have this public prayer to God that he would provide rain. The preacher was a good man, and he was astonished, though, on that cloudless summer morning to see one of the smallest children in the church carrying a very big umbrella. Oh, what a size that umbrella was. The morning was hot. It was blistering. There was absolutely no sign of rain, but that little girl had heard the call that prayer was going to be made for rain that day, and in the simplicity of her faith, she came prepared for an answer. The preacher, well, he had no umbrella whatsoever. He smiled. He greeted the little girl with a smile as she walked by, and in his mind, he thought, she made a mistake, but in reality, she had great faith. Well, the service began, and the prayer ascended up to God. To the preacher's amazement, someone reported that clouds were beginning to gather and roll up on the horizon before the preaching commenced. And before the service was over, lightning flashed, torrents of rain began pouring down on the roof of that church. The little girl was prepared, the preacher was not. The minister was glad to go home under the little girl's big umbrella. He closed the story by saying, so who believed in the power of prayer? Chapman then would give this encouragement when he shared it. He said, pray on though the skies be as brass. Pray on in times of trouble because God answers prayer. In James chapter 5, we find that encouragement that before we were on vacation, we preached on a few different times the encouragement to be involved in the matter of prayer. Join with me, if you would, follow along as I read, beginning in verse 13, where the Bible says in James 5, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Let's pray. Father, please open our, our eyes, our minds, our hearts to the truth of your word today that God, that you answer prayer. Pray that you would stir us about that matter. Help us understand that prayer, prayer is essential for reviving work to take place. Prayer is essential for various needs that are present in our church. That prayer is just a vital aspect of our existence and our relationship with you. And I pray that you would touch our hearts about that today. Give me the words to say. I'm going to say what I ought and to... And to uh, dispense with things that are useless. I pray that your spirit would guide my lips and that your people would hear your word today. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God indeed answers prayer. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, we already mentioned earlier today, availeth much. And these are the words of God that we find in James chapter 5. 
and uh, in the passage that we just read. Prayer is an essential part of your Christian walk with God, and it's necessary because God answers prayer. I want you to look at the passage with me today. It's going to be a very simple message. It's very simple because the, the, what God shares here is very simple. There's a lot of depth to what is said. There are a lot of things that we could dig into and look into, like the anointing with oil. But the message in this passage is not to deal with and spend an hour on talking about what the anointing of oil is. It's to talk about the value of prayer and to remind believers to be involved in this task. See if you would, first of all, with me, the expectations to prayer. When James writes at the end of his book to believers, he gives them three distinct exhortations to the matter of prayer. Some people look at them as a whole. They look at them as if they're dealing with, with, um, with uh, one different matter, but that's not true. If you look at these verses we read, there are three distinct things that he brings out and three distinct exhortations dealing with certain areas of, the li of a person's life. Uh, notice... Though before we kind of get into those distinct things, and I share with you the exhortations, let me just mention something that, about this passage that's interesting to me. He said, is any among you let, uh, afflicted, let him pray. Is any sick among you, we see in verse 14. Uh, when you look in verse 15 and when you look in verse 16, as we study the subject of prayer, I want you to understand that it's given in the context of a local church. Do you see that? Look, he asks you to involve in verse 15 uh, various leaders or elders in the church. He asks you to involve believers in the church in verse 16. And then in verses, verse 13, he talks about among you, and in verse 14, among you. And he shares this truth that the church is to be about prayer, that all believers are to be about prayer, and that uh, uh, it, it's just an important part of a local church. The local church ought to be involved in prayer for me, with me, about matters that are important to my life. And it's a, it's a shame to me, like a, a lot of people don't understand the importance of the church. We can talk about it in many different ways. Uh, and we could probably look at passages. In fact, we will as we study the book of Titus about the importance of the church. But this passage reminds us that we need a local New Testament church to be involved in, to serve in, and to grow with people in. You say, well, well, I don't believe that. Well, then you're denying not just what's taught here, but what we find throughout Scripture, is that God has designed a local New Testament church to help believers become what God wants them to be. And in this passage, you can't fulfill these verses unless you have a church. Because you can't ask the elders of the church to come if you're not part of a church. You, you can't ask fellow believers to come if you're not part of a local church. You say, well, I'm at church today. Yes, you are, and that's good, and it's a wonderful thing. But I hope you understand that the context of this teaching was you need a church. It's not the focus of this passage, but this passage does teach you need a church, and you need to be involved with God's people enough that you couldn't call upon elders of the church to come and pray, that you could call upon fellow believers to come and get with you and get with them and deal with matters and then see God work. Um, you need a local church. That was free. That, that wasn't even in, in the, you know, as far as points in the outline. But it's an important thing for us to know. A believer needs to be part of a local church so they can be made aware of needs and can pray for needs. A believer needs to be part of a local church because they need a local church and God's people to pray for them if this passage is correct, and it is. So let's look at these calls to prayer or exhortations to prayer. Verse 13 is the first one. Is any among you afflicted? That's a good question. Are you afflicted? You say, well, what does that mean? It's a very simple question that precedes an exhortation to prayer. When should a Christian pr pray? Well, he, asks, he answers that by saying in a question, are you in affliction? You see, if you're in affliction, you can pray. You ought pray. Now, you might think James is dealing with sickness, and that's why some people look at verses 13 and, and 14 and 15 
uh, and, and this whole passage and say, well, it's dealing with sickness. But the word affliction is not dealing with sickness. James is asking in verse 13, all those who are, if you would, undergoing hardship, because that's how it would be defined or understood. Anyone going through hardship of any kind in their life can call upon God. The language is very distinct here. James is saying, is there some person, is there any person in a place right now that's going through hardship? And if you can answer that question and say, yes, then let me tell you what the answer is. Pray! Now, it's encouraging to be able to do that, isn't it? I mean, anytime you got a hardship, say, well, my hardship isn't like what I read about in Scripture or, about, or, or other people are facing. No, hey, look, if you're in hardship, God just encourages you. In times of affliction, you can pray. You can't get more direct than what James said. Hey, look, are, are you afflicted? Is there any kind of hardship in your life? Look, let me give you the answer. It's real simple. Get on your knees and talk to God about it. I'm encouraged when I come to this passage because James doesn't leave us any doubt that prayer is the answer. James doesn't leave any room for us to say, well, you know, it really, I don't think it'll work in my situation. Because he says, you got an affliction. And I'm not going to, James is saying, I'm not going to list the whole thing. We're not going to go down the list and say, this is the hardship you're facing, or this is the hardship so-and-so is facing. This is the difficult, oh, that one's too hard. No, look, any hardship, doesn't matter. You call it a hardship, then your answer for that hardship is, get on your knees, talk to God about it. And I'm thankful throughout the years that, that, I, that God has, has bid his people come when they got hardships in life. And make the request known before God. And then he cares. I've told you about the pastor in former ministry, Pastor Pendle, whose son was born with serious medical issues. There, uh, and she had, uh, his wife had given birth. He was experiencing some real difficulties. It appeared that they were going to send him to a children's hospital in, in Indianapolis. And uh, on that particular weekend, uh, while she was at the hospital taking care of uh, their their son, he was at church because we had uh, a guest speaker, a guy by the name of Al Smith. Uh, maybe you don't know the name, but the hymn book that you sang out of today is the hymn book that he compiled. He was uh, a, had a tremendous voice. He was one who had studied hymn histories, wrote uh, a few different books about hymn histories. Al Smith was a man who loved God and who uh, just wrote, wrote some godly music. A few of the songs that you and I sing are songs that Al Smith was involved in writing. And Al happened to be with us that day. He was having, actually sharing him histories. He was a great storyteller. And uh, we were having lunch that day, uh, Sunday after the morning service. <clears throat> and I still remember that um, Pastor Pendle's wife called the, actually called the, restaurant. She knew where we were at, and uh, they asked him to come to the phone. He went and answered the phone, and that's when they found out that their son had some issues, some serious issues, and stopped breathing like three different times, um, and so they were transporting him to Indianapolis, and Pastor Pendle came back. You could tell that he was greatly moved by the situation. Obviously, he would be if you heard that about your, your newborn, and um, and so he just said, I, I am so sorry, uh, Brother Smith, uh, but I just have to leave. i got to be with my wife. Uh, we're going to just transport our son to Indianapolis, and I just need to go with her. I hope you'll understand. And, and Brother Smith just, just, without a moment's hesitation, said, Pastor, let's pray right now about this situation. And he didn't wait to see if Pastor agreed or anything else. He just closed his eyes and he began to call upon God to work in this little boy's life. It was a great reminder to me that day as I was seated there. Um, that wasn't the first thing I, 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 I thought of saying. But that was the first thing that came out of his lips. And it was a reminder to me. It's been a reminder to me since. When I've got a problem, no matter how big it is, no matter how bad it is, when I'm in hardship, that should be my first response. That should be what's going on in my life. My first thought should be, I need to talk to God about this. 
And I can talk to God about this. And God wants me to talk to him about it. And he wants to work. And God did work. And indeed, did answer prayers that were made even that day. You know, it's just wonderful to know that in hardship, no matter what comes our way, prayer works. In verses 14 and 15, we have a second exhortation in times of affliction or, or whenever we're in hardship. But in verses 14 and 15, the second question that we're asked is, any sick among you? Now, if you are and you shared it with everyone this morning, shame on you. That isn't what he is talking about. Anyone sick here today? All right. But anyone have an affliction in their health? Is any weak, sickly? If you are, there's an answer for that. Does anyone have any idea what the answer might be? Are you, James, wasn't he practical? I mean, this is just like, okay, all right, look. You, are you in affliction? Are you in hardship? I got the answer for you. Pray. Are you sick? I got the answer for you. Pray. You know, this guy, James, the, the, the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, you know, he was a pretty basic guy, wasn't he? I mean, I like this preacher. He's a guy you can understand. I mean, you know, you don't have to have a college degree to figure this one out. Hey, you're sick? Let, let me give you the answer. In times of illness, when you're sick, is there some ailment not going away? God says pray about it. In fact, in this passage, he doesn't actually tell you to pray yourself. Interesting. He says, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. And here we have the involvement of others in prayer for us. Okay, I'm in hardship. Pray. I'm sick. I should be praying about it. In fact, I think this passage suggests that very fact. All right, look, you're sick. You've been sick for a while because this, this isn't every time you get a cold. If you call on the elders of the church every time you get a cold, I'm going to be awful busy. In fact, especially if you come to church and you share it with a bunch of people, you know, we're going to be going around to all sorts of different homes. The suggestion in this passage is that, look, you've been sick for a while. This is a sickness that hasn't gone away. You've been praying about it. You've been asking God to work. You've been pleading with God to deal with your situation in life, and things haven't changed. And so you believe God wants to do something about it, and it, it seems clear to you that God wants to work. So then that's when you call upon the elders of the church and get them involved because prayer works. And you say, Pastor, oh, man, I've always had questions about this passage. You deal with the anointing with oil, aren't you? No. Mm -mm. I'm not. Sorry. You lose. No. Here's the reason why. I have found, in fact, as I study out the passage and as I read this passage or read what commentators say about this passage, it's amazing to me how great lengths to try to explain exactly what the anointing and oil, uh, with oil is and how that's supposed to be done and, and what it means and the significance of it and everything else. But here's the truth, okay? If you focus all on that and you try to get an answer for that, you will miss the wonderful truth that God answers prayer. And I think sometimes that is the problem. We want to have the answer to everything in, in life rather than just accept the basic wonderful truth of this passage is, look, you're sick, haven't seen an answer call the elders of the church. And by the way, some people question, well, what, what, was that the, the pastors of the church? Possibly. It could be because the word elder is used in, in different ways. It could be just the older people in the church. Have them come. Have them pray over you. And if you want oil put on, fine. Whether that's medicinal, whatever. But see, when you start getting in all the debates and the discussions, then you miss it and you you start to look at answering this question rather than just saying prayer works. And if you've got a problem, involve other people 
that isn't going away. Involve other people and have them pray with you and for you. God might make a difference in your life and even in your health. I don't know about you, but I'm encouraged to know that, that God is the great physician and that he responds to the prayers of God's people. Say, how is it done right? I don't think it can be done wrong if you just follow what's written in the passage. Not worrying about trying to explain everything about it and say, I've prayed about this. I haven't seen an answer, but I believe God wants to work, and so I'm going to involve God's people to pray with me. And I'm going to ask for respected members of the church or, or for the pastor of the church to come and to be involved in praying with me. And I'm, I guess I, I come to this passage and just reminded that um, I, I have a God who cares about me. His method, his means by which access his power is through prayer. So, are you afflicted? Are you in hardship? You got problems of any kind? Difficulty? Okay, pray about it. You sick? Pray about it. And if you haven't seen answers, then call upon the elders of the church. And have them come and pray over you. Because God answers prayer. Look at verse 16. He says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. I'm sorry, he doesn't, James didn't understand the complete story of alliteration here. You know, he didn't understand you have to have three questions and answer them simply. But he comes to this third section and, and this third thing and he says, look, there are issues in life. That's confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. Now, some people interpret verse 16 in light of verses 14 and 15. And there's a possibility there's a tie between these because James didn't bring out another question. I get that. But, you know, it seems like James may be bringing up another matter for prayer. And you say, well, why do you say that? Because he just finished calling on this to get the elders. That here, it's not for a call for the elders but for believers to call fellow believers. In fact, some people suggest that verse 16 is that whenever there's been a falling out between people in the church, there we go back to the church again, when there's been a falling out, you got a problem with someone, you got an issue that has come between you and another person, and here's what God wants you to do. He doesn't want you to leave the church and go to another church, which so many people do. Well, so-and-so offended me, so they walk away. That's not God's answer. You know, God's answer is, if this verse 16 is indeed dealing with this, and it seems like appropriate interpretation, is that when you got a problem with someone, you go to that person and you make things right. You know why? Because prayer is hindered when you don't. In fact, you look at verse 16, an indication there are issues and rifts between people that it can affect someone's health. So these people get together and they join together and they confess their faults one to another and they deal with the issues that come between them. And then what do they do? They pray because God answers prayer. And when those people who have gotten things right with one another come to God and they ask God to work, then God is apt to act on their behalf. So you got hardships? Pray. Sick? Pray. When there are issues? Pray. And get other people involved in the matter. These are the exhortations we find in this passage. And mind you, if we want to argue the fact, when we look starting in verse 17, we see a man by the name of Elias who is subject to like passions, and we read about him praying, which is an example. It's an illustration. James was a preacher, and he used illustrations. Illustration was Elijah in this text. He said, Elijah prayed. What's interesting is that it wasn't anything to do with sickness. It really wasn't anything to do with hardship, although you could say the second part of his prayer was because he hadn't had, there hadn't had water for three and a half years. It didn't have anything necessarily to do with issues between people. And so we could argue the fourth exhortation in this passage is this. Whatever you need God to work in, pray about it. Now, isn't that encouraging to you? 
So we have a man who deals and focuses in three specific areas, verse 13, 14, and 15, and in, ver and in verse 16, and then in verse 17 and 18, still dealing with the subject of prayer, he just said, hey, look, whatever your problem is, take it to God. Elijah proves God answers. Pray. So pray. Take it to the Lord. That is the exhortation. Whatever your problem is in whatever scenario that you're in. So not only should you pray about matters, but you should involve godly people in the church. You should involve mature leaders in the church. You should call fellow believers to pray individual corporate prayer and prayers offered up between concerned believers should, listen, be the norm in a local church. And I'll tell you something, when I read these verses, and this is why I brought out the fact about the church early on, when I read these verses, uh, I ask myself the question, even, even in my own life, is have I been willing to involve God's people in praying for me? See, this, this passage is not just you pray. This passage is you pray and you get others to pray with you. At least a great portion of it is. And um, this is what God exhorts us to do. Now, let me just give you the encouragement to pray, and I've been actually sharing that all along. But every call to prayer in these verses is a message in itself about the value and the power of prayer. So if it's hardships, God can answer that. If it's sickness, God can deal with that. If I need healing in some way, if there's some, some rift that has come between me and other people, and I have issues, and there are issues that are going on in the lives of other people, you know what? God can take care of those things too. Prayer can be dispensed for any need I have in life. God answers the prayer of sincere, godly people who come asking him to work. That's what we find in this passage. In fact, verse 16 is kind of the culmination of everything when he says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. In fact, that's kind of the conclusion of the matter when we come to this. And the verses that follow when he starts to talk about Elijah is an answer to that and reveals that, hey, look, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. There's encouragement here to pray because God answers prayer. There's an old devotional calendar told the story of a, of a lost lady. I get this lost lady. Um, came to a missionary and said, I need your help. Well, the missionary thought he might have an opportunity, you know, to minister and help this lady or whatever. But here's, here's the story as it was told. A woman came to a missionary asking him to stop a certain native Christian from praying for her anymore. She said, I used to perform my worship to idols quite comfortably, but for some time I haven't been able to do so. He told me he was praying for my family. And I want you to ask him to stop. The lady then said, my son and my two daughters have become Christians. And if he keeps on praying, he may make me become a Christian. He always brings things to pass with his prayers. Wouldn't it be great if someone would come to a a missionary or, or a pastor and say, would you please ask so-and-so in your church to stop praying for me? Because, because they know that your prayers work. Now, what was a great concern to this woman is a great testimony to the power of prayer when done by righteous people. You know, prayer works we have needs in our church, um, needs that only God can meet. We've had plenty of sickness. We've got someone in the hospital right now. Um, prayer works. We've had various needs in various situations where God just needs to work and answer prayer. And um, prayer works. Prayer 
works. Kind of simple. But the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I don't think I could say it much better than that. I can't because this is, these are the words of God for us today. Now, let me share with you the expectations, or if you would, elements of effective praying. Say, say, what's part of it? Well, when we look at this passage, there's a number of things to be learned. And again, there's so much that uh, really I don't know if we're doing it justice even this morning. But there's a couple of things that come to mind uh, as part of elements, if you would, of effective praying. And I would say, first of all, it's humility. Humility. You say, well, where do you learn that? Well, especially in verses 14 and 15, someone who's sick. It takes a lot of humility to go and say, I need some elders from the church to come and pray for me. It really does. Of course, if someone is sick, if they're not feeling well, they might be a little bit more apt. But it does take humility, doesn't it, to do that? Verse 16 suggests as well it takes humility in order to ask someone else to come and get with you, and you're going to confess your faults. <laughs> yeah, all right, that doesn't happen all the time, does it? And you're going to deal with these things, so it regards humility, a, a, a lessening of yourself, a removal of yourself. But I would say, suggest that all these things and every prayer we make is ultimately a sign of humility because when I come to God, I'm saying, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this hardship. I don't know what I'm going to do about this sickness. There's no way that I can heal myself, but God, I'm dependent on you. And so if we're going to pray effectively, it really starts with us understanding that, that, look, God is the answer. And God does answer. And I'm going to be willing to say, God, I can't do it, but you can. I can't solve this rift, verse 16, but you can. I can't take care of this sickness. I've been praying about it. I've done everything that I can. God, you need to work. I can't take care of this hardship that I'm going through right now. I don't know what to do. But you do, and you can, and I need your help. So without a doubt, one of the elements of effective praying in this passage is humility. I think it's even shown in that statement, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. For a man to get fervent with God is a man who humbles himself because the Bible says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And James shared that back in chapter four of this very book itself and reminds us of the fact that humility is necessary. When I was preparing this. What came to mind is, remember the, the message we, we preached? Yeah, I know. It's been, it's been like four or five weeks. But we preached about Moses in, in prayer. You know, it still amazes me that when the children of Israel and the spies came back and they gave the bad report and they started to, to say, let's get a captain and let's go back to Egypt, that when those words were spoken and shared, that the Bible says that Moses and Aaron fell on their faces. Not because they were begging the people. It's because they were getting alone. They were going to talk with God about this. What do we do? And so their response was, we don't care if everyone sees us. We're just going to get on our, we're going to fall on our faces before God and start to plead with God to work because this situation is way beyond what we can do. And so these guys were humble, weren't they? I mean, look, if it were me, I would have said, excuse me, I'm going to go pray about this. But Moses and Aaron, it's like, I don't know whether they looked at one another and said, this is desperate. I mean, they didn't say that, you know, but you could probably see the look in their eyes. And so they just fall on their faces before God, and they just start to pray. I actually think that must have been very convicting to the people as well that saw it. But they were men who weren't who were willing to say, we need God, and we don't know what to do. And so... Lord, you you got to work. And God honors that kind of prayer. The humble in spirit, the one who doesn't come saying, <laughs> okay, God, I got this all laid out. No, the one who comes to God saying, God, I don't know what to do, but I, I know you answer prayer and I need you to work. Humility. Let me also say this. In two of the issues found in our text, the second thing I, I would suggest is unity. Is unity. In the matter of sickness, 
and the matter of issues, whatever they might be, whatever might be going on in verse 16, is get other people to, to pray for you. And, and um, where two or three are gathered, the scriptures tell us what? Lord's in the midst. But there also seems to be a suggestion in this passage, doesn't there, that, that, that corporate praying of God's people for one another is an important thing. And it's a powerful thing. And it suggests that there ought be people that I, that I know and love in a local church that I can call upon to pray for me, who will pray for me, who won't condemn me, who won't to point the finger, who will help me and understand maybe if there would be some sin in my life, verses 14 and 15, who might confront me about some sin and say, maybe you need to deal with this, but someone who then will say, let's pray. And that unity in prayer is very important. Um, we, we ought be willing to talk with one another and share with one another. And you know, we, we live in a... I get convicted by this passage as I read it because it, it seems like um, it's very easy to get into a, look, I'm just going to pray about this myself and just keep to myself and keep my own life. Um, but God really tells me to put things on the line with his people and ask them to pray. And it's, it's not only challenging from the standpoint that I need to be willing to do that, but it's also challenging from the standpoint that I need to be someone who listens, not to condemn, but who, lists, who cares about people enough that no matter what they would tell me, I would be... I'd be willing to lovingly help them and pray for them and care for them. I wouldn't condemn them, and I wouldn't do what Simon will start gossiping about what they shared with me. You know, in some churches, people won't share things because it get it'll get out everywhere. But people ought to be able to come to you. I'm serious. People ought to be able to come to you. People in this church should be able to come to you and say, I got a problem I want to ask you to pray about. I want to ask you to keep it to yourself, but would you pray with me about this matter? And they should know they could count on you to do that very thing. Not to go and blab it to everyone else. Not to go and share it to everyone else. Not to share it as a request to others. That they will know that you as a Christian love them enough that you'll take that matter to God in prayer. And that is a challenge found in this passage. And it's brought out unity. Humility unity are at least two elements that to effective prayer. Now, I would say this. You don't share everything with everyone, but there are times when God's people can and ought know about and be made aware of matters so they can pray. The third element of effective praying we find in this passage, notice if you would, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You see the words effectual fervent um, I can't just give you one word. Earnestly, energetically, fervently, sincerely, those things would all be suggested. The word in the Greek is energeho, from which I believe we get the word energy. We are to pray with energy. Do you pray that way? See, see when I come to a passage, I... I often ask myself, that's why I don't like to preach on prayer because always, I'm always convicted, always convicted when I come to a passage and I preach on prayer because, because I always realize there are things I can work on. I've asked myself the question, how many energetic praying have I done? What about you? Do you pray with energy? Part of the definition of this word energeho, okay, or uh, energy, it means to be mighty in. Mighty prayers are answered. You say, mighty in what way? I think in, in one sense, mighty in that we expect God to do great things. What, what comes next? Elias prayed earnestly that it might not rain. So fervent, 
effective praying is, is a prayer that's, that's, that's mighty. I believe God can do this. It's energetic, though. It's enthusiastic because I, I actually believe God can and will do something. Have you ever thrown yourself into something? Maybe if you put off cleaning the garage for like months and months and months. You keep saying, oh, I'll get to it one of these days. I'll get to it one of these days. And then, then you determine, okay, it's going to happen this Saturday. You know, you set the date, set the time, I'm going to get to it. And then on Saturday morning, you just go to it with, with great gusto. Okay, you've never done that in cleaning the garage. I understand. But you've done things energetically before, haven't you? You've done things enthusiastically. You ever, you know, like, okay, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. And, man, I'm just going to, am, I am ready to go. So you come, maybe you're going to take a, a class and you wanted to learn something, learn how to do something. So you just, you, you just come in and you're ready. You just got an energy about you. You're excited about it. You don't care what anyone else thinks. You're just into it. Well, that's how we're to, to pray. That's the idea of this word, to pray mightily. It's just, I am really really confident that my God will work in this situation and glorify his name. And we need to be people who actually pray, not just, Lord, thank you day, amen. God hears this problem. Sick? Here's what I heard from the doctor, and I don't know what to do. God, you've got to do something. Energetic praying. Done any of that lately? I'll tell you, sometimes just get into the mode and just pray and then go on your way and you read your Bible and you go on your way and you do this in the Christian life and you go on your way. You've never gotten that way, I know, but I do every once in a while. God says, let's get excited about this. Something can happen. You will get energetic about praying about that. These verses came to mind, 2 Corinthians 12. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Those are the words of Paul. God gave him that thorn in the flesh. The next verse says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice. Depart from me. That indicates energy. He had an issue. He had a thorn in the flesh. He believed God would take it away because it was hindering his ability minister and have an effective ministry. So he comes to God energetically and he besought God, do something. And God didn't do anything. Three times energetic prayer. And then God taught him, my grace is sufficient for the hour. You know the passage. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And and it, it changed his attitude. Not, he wasn't you know, he, didn't, he didn't go around saying, I love my thorn, but he was, he was happy about the fact that God's power was made known in weakness, and he learned about God's power in weakness. You say, so, so God didn't answer prayer, but he prayed energetically, and he got an answer, didn't he? He did get an answer. God said, I'm not taking it away. I'm just going to give you the strength you need today, and that was a lesson we all need to learn. By the way, he might do that with your sickness, too. I'm not going to take it away. I'll give you grace today. My, my, my hardship, Lord, I prayed energetically about it, and I still have it. I'll give you strength for today. But God, God is pleased with By the way, God was pleased with his prayer. He just said, this is not best for you. Here's what's best is that you have it and that you learn about my grace being sufficient. So I'm not going to take it away. That's your answer. Paul threw himself into prayer, it seems, and it's a lesson we can benefit from. 
Fourth thing, and we could make the list longer, but he says the effectual fervent prayer of a what? Righteous man. I used the word piety. So I had humility, I had unity, I had uh, earnestly, energetically, fervently, sincerely, and then I had piety. Um, the righteous man, that, that's a holy man. If I want to see God do great things through prayer in my life, I need to come to him with a clean heart and life. Um, the best praying is not prayer that comes from someone who's done their own thing. They've gotten in trouble and now they're coming to God saying, God, pull me out of this. The best praying is done by someone who's living godly that God has allowed a trial to come into their life, a hardship, a sickness, whatever it may be. And they, as a holy believer who's been walking with God, come to God and say, Lord, I'm just leaving this with you. I need your help. I need you to do something. And God's people are praying for him. It's a righteous man. I'll tell you something. You want, you want to be in a place where God can work in and through you. The best place to be is have a holy life. And then come to God energetically and say, Lord God, I don't have to, I, I'm, I'm not here to I have sought to do that and live that way. I am here, Lord God, to make my request as your child who's been seeking to walk with you. I tell you, God is pleased with that. And then finally, we have the example. And we, and we close with verses 17 and 18. See, good preachers have good illustrations. I haven't had any today, but good preachers have good illustrations. And his illustration is Elijah. The person, wonderful example of prayer, is so encouraging. But it's encouraging the way James explains it. Eli Elias, Elijah, was a man subject to like passions. And I'm going to stop right there. Because as soon as you and I would have heard, if he just said, Elijah prayed that it might not rain. You know what a lot of us would have said? Seriously. Well, that doesn't help me. Elijah was caught up in a whirlwind under heaven. This guy was a prophet of God. This guy prayed down fire from heaven. So who am I to come to God and ask God to work? But James, James was not stupid. He actually was one of the few intelligent preachers. He understood that we would all have a tendency to say, I'm not Elijah. So he says, I want you to know, there's a guy by the name of Elijah that's going to be our illustration. And he was subject to like passions. And that little statement there is really important. Because what he's saying is, he's like you and me. That's what he's saying. He was a human being that had the same ups and downs of life and struggles and battles and difficulties that you and I have. In fact, he could have readily illustrated that by what Elijah did after the fire came down from heaven. And Elijah's out, out there saying, Lord of all, let me die. He just said, James just says, I'm going to use an illustration of, James, of, of Elijah. And I want you to know, he was a man of like passion. He's just like you and I. We're, we're all the same. We're just flesh. But this guy who's flesh got down on his knees and he prayed earnestly and he prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't for a day for a week for a month for three months for a year for a year and a half for two years for two and a half years for three years for three and a half years, not one drop of rain came from a guy who's just like us who prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain. And a guy who's just like us prayed earnestly that it would rain. After three and a half years where it hadn't rained. And then he did pray earnestly. And it's funny because he he obviously 
believed it was going to happen because he kept sending a sermon out, go and see if there's anything happening. Ah, I don't see anything. Go again. I don't see anything. Go again. And, you know, if I was his servant, I'd be saying, come on, man. I've already gone six times. Go again. Comes back. You see? Out, it's the size of a fist. Let's go. It's coming. Man, that that's just, and then man, this is great. He he girds up his his clothes and he he beats the chariots back back to safety. It's great. And in the meantime, clouds fill the sky and rain comes because because a guy who's just like you and me. Don't miss it. Guys are just like you and me. Prayed. He prayed it wouldn't rain. Prayed it would. And God answered both. Three and a half years apart. Doesn't that encourage you? You should. That's why it was written. Just remind us. God answers prayer. Do you believe that? As you're praying, show me. There's a lot to learn from James chapter 5 about the matter of prayer. And I hope that what we've heard today and been challenged about will make a difference in our praying for the revival. Not just for a revival, but in praying for one another and praying for our own needs. Because God answers prayer. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Let's bow our heads in prayer.